This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Men of Yarnith from Time and the Gods by Lord Dunsany. The men of Yarnith hold that nothing began until Yarnizai uplifted his hand. Yarnizai, they say, has the form of a man, but is greater, and is a thing of rock. When he uplifted his hand, all the rocks that wandered beneath the dome, by which name they call the sky, gathered together around Yarnizai. Of the other worlds they say naught but hold that the stars are the eyes of all the other gods that look on Yarnizai and laugh, for they are all greater than he, though they have gathered no worlds around them. Yet, though they be greater than Yarnizai, and though they laugh at him when they speak together beneath the dome, they all speak of Yarnizai. Unheard is the speaking of the gods to all except the gods, but the men of Yarnith tell of how their prophet Iraun, lying in the sand desert, Azrachan, heard once their speaking, and knew thereby how Yarnizai departed from all the other gods to clothe himself with rocks and to make a world. Certain it is that every legend tells that at the end of the valley of Yodeth, where it becomes lost among black cliffs, there sits a figure colossal against a mountain, whose form is the form of a man with the right hand uplifted, but vaster than the hills. And in the book of secret things, which the prophets keep in the temple that stands in Yarnith, is writ the story of the gathering of the world as Iraun heard it, when the gods spake together up in the stillness above Azrachan. And all that read this may learn how Yarnizai drew the mountains about him like a cloak, and piled the world below him. It is not set in writing for how many years Yarnizai sat clothed with rocks at the end of the valley of Yodeth, while there was naught in all the world save rocks and Yarnizai. But one day there came another god running over the rocks across the world, and he ran as the clouds run upon days of storm, and as he sped towards Yodeth, Yarnizai, sitting against his mountain with right hand uplifted, cried out, What dost thou, running across my world, and whither art thou going? And the new god answered never a word, but sped onwards, and as he went to left of him and to right of him, there sprang up green things all over the rocks of the world of Yarnizai. So the new god ran round the world and made it green, sowing in the valley where Yarnizai sat monstrous against his mountain, and certain lands wherein Cradoa, the drought, browsed horribly at night. Further, the writing in the book tells of how there came yet another god, running speedily out of the east, as swiftly as the first, with his face set westward, and naught to stay his running, and how he stretched both arms outward beside him, and to left of him, and to right of him, as he ran, the whole world whitened. And Yarnizai called out, What dost thou, running across my world? And the new god answered, I bring the snow for all the world, 
whiteness and resting and stillness. And he stilled the running of streams, and laid his hand even upon the head of Yanizai, and muffled the noises of the world, till there was no sound in all lands but the running of the new god that brought the snow as he sped across the plains. But the two new gods chased each other for ever round the world, and every year they passed again, running down the valleys and up the hills and away across the plains before Yanizai, whose hand uplifted had gathered the world about him. And furthermore, the very devout may read how all the animals came up the valley of Yodeth to the mountain whereon rested Yanizai, saying, Give us leave to live, to be lions, rhinoceroses, and rabbits, and to go about the world. And Yanizai gave leave to the animals to be lions, rhinoceroses, and rabbits, and all the other kinds of beasts, and to go about the world. But when they all had gone, he gave leave to the bird to be a bird, and to go about the sky. And further there came a man into that valley who said, Yanizai, thou hast made animals into thy world. O Yanizai, ordain that there be men. So Yanizai made men. Then was there in the world Yanizai and the two strange gods that brought the greenness and the growing and the whiteness and the stillness and animals and men. And the god of the greenness pursued the god of the whiteness, and the god of the whiteness pursued the god of the greenness, and men pursued animals, and animals pursued men. But Yanizai sat still against his mountain with his right hand uplifted. But the men of Yanis say that when the arm of Yanizai shall cease to be uplifted, the world shall be flung behind him as a man's cloak is flung away. And Yanizai, no longer clad with the world, shall go back into the emptiness beneath the dome among the stars, as a diver seeking pearls goes down from the islands. It is writ in Yanis histories by scribes of old that there passed a year over the valley of Yarnith that bore not with it any rain, and the famine from the wastes beyond, finding that it was dry and pleasant in Yarnith, crept over the mountains and down their slopes, and sunned himself at the edge of Yarnith's fields. And the men of Yarnith, labouring in the fields, found the famine as he nibbled at the corn and chased the cattle, and hastily they drew water from deep wells and cast it over the famine's dry grey fur, and drove him back to the mountains. But the next day, when his fur was dry again, the famine returned and nibbled more of the corn and chased the cattle further, and again men drove him back. But again the famine returned, and there came a time when there was no more water in the wells to frighten the famine with, and he nibbled the corn till all of it was gone, and the cattle that he chased grew very lean. And the famine drew nearer, even to the houses of men, and trampled on their gardens at night, and ever came creeping nearer to their doors. At last the cattle were able to run no more, and one by one the famine took them by their throats, and dragged them down, and at night he scratched in the ground, killing even the roots of things, and came and peered in at the doorways, and started back, and peered in at the door again a little further, but yet was not bold enough to enter altogether, for fear that men should have water, 
to throw over his dry grey fur. Then did the men of Yarnith pray to Yarnizai, as he sat far off beyond the valley, praying to him night and day to call his famine back, but the famine sat and purred and slew all the cattle, and dared at last to take men for his food. And the histories tell how he slew children first, and afterwards grew bolder and tore down women, till at last he even sprang at the throats of men as they laboured in the fields. Then said the men of Yarnith, There must go one to take our prayers to the feet of Yarnizai, for the world at evening utters many prayers, and it may be that Yarnizai, as he hears all earth lamenting when the prayers at evening flutter to his feet, may have missed among so many the prayers of the men of Yarnith. But if one go and say to Yarnizai, There is a little crease in the outer skirts of thy cloak, that men call the valley of Yarnith, where the famine is a greater lord than Yarnizai. It may be that he shall remember for an instant and call his famine back. Yet all men feared to go, seeing that they were but men, and Yarnizai was lord of the whole earth, and the journey was far and rocky. But that night Hothrandath heard the famine whining outside his house and pawing at his door, Therefore it seemed to him more meet to wither before the glance of Yarnizai than that the whining of that famine should ever again fall upon his ears. So about the dawn Hothrundath crept away, fearing still to hear behind him the breathing of the famine, and set out upon his journey whither pointed the graves of men. For men in Yarnith are buried with their feet and faces turned towards Yarnizai, lest he might beckon to them in their night, and call them to him. So all day long did Hothrundath follow the way of the graves. It is told that he even journeyed for three days and nights, with naught but the graves to guide him, as they pointed towards Yarnizai, where all the world slopes upwards towards Yodeth. And the great black rocks that are nearest to Yarnizai lie gathered together by clans, till he came to the two great black pillars of Asdarinth, and saw the rocks beyond them piled in a dark valley, narrow and aloof, and knew that this was Yodeth. Then did he haste no more, but walked quietly up the valley, daring not to disturb the stillness, for he said, Surely this is the stillness of Yanni's eye, which lay about him before he clothed himself with rocks. Here among the rocks which first had gathered to the call of Yarnizai, Hothrundath felt a mighty fear, but yet went onwards because of all his people, and because he knew that thrice in every hour in some dark chamber death and famine met to speak two words together, the end. But as dawn turned the darkness into grey, he came to the valley's end, and even touched the foot of Yarnizai, but saw him not, for he was all hidden in the mist. Then Hothrundath feared that he might not behold him, to look him in the eyes, when he sent up his prayer. But laying his forehead against the foot of Yarni's eye, he prayed for the men of Yarnith, saying, O Lord of famine and father of death, there is a spot in the world that thou hast cast about thee, which men call Yarnith and there men die before the time thou hast apportioned, 
passing out of Yarnith. Perchance the famine hath rebelled against thee, or death exceeds his powers. O master of the world, drive out the famine as a moth out of thy cloak, lest the gods beyond that regard thee with their eyes say, There is Yarni's eye, and lo, his cloak is tattered. And in the mist no sign made Yarni's eye. Then did Hothrun Dath pray to Yarni's eye to make some sign with his uplifted hand that he might know he heard him. In the awe and silence he waited until nigh the dawn the mist that hid the figure rolled upwards. Serene above the mountains he brooded over the world, silent with right hand uplifted. What Hothrun Dath saw there upon the face of Yarni's eye no history telleth, or how he came again alive to Yarnith, but this is writ that he fled, and none hath since beheld the face of Yarni's eye. Some say that he saw a look on the face of the image that set a horror tingling through his soul, but it is held in Yarnith that he found the marks of instruments of carving about the figure's feet, and discerning thereby that Yarni's eye was wrought by the hands of men, he fled down the valley, screaming, There are no gods, and all the world is lost, and hope departed from him and all the purposes of life. Motionless behind him, lit by the rising sun, sat the colossal figure with right hand uplifted that man had made in his own image. But the men of Yarnith tell how Hothrun Dath came back again, panting to his own city, and told the people that there were no gods, and that Yarnith had no hope from Yarnith's eye. Then the men of Yarnith, when they knew that the famine came not from the gods, arose and strove against him. They dug deep for wells and slew goats for food, high up on Yarnith's mountains, and went afar and gathered blades of grass, where yet it grew, that their cattle might live. Thus they fought the famine, for they said, If Yarni's eye be not a god, then is there nothing mightier in Yarnith than men, and who is the famine, that he should bear his teeth against the lords of Yarnith? And they said, If no help cometh from Yarni's eye, then is there no help but from our own strength and might, and we be Yarnith's gods, with the saving of Yarnith burning within us, or its doom according to our desire. And some more the famine slew, but others raised their hands, saying, These be the hands of gods, and drave the famine back, till he went from the houses of men, and out among the cattle. And still the men of Yarnith pursued him, till above the heat of the fight came the million whispers of rain, heard faintly far off towards evening. Then the famine fled away, howling, back to the mountains and over the mountains' crests, and became no more than a thing that is told in Yarnith's legends. A thousand years have passed across the graves of those that fell in Yarnith by the famine, but the men of Yarnith still pray to Yarnith's eye, carved by men's hands in the likeness of a man, for they say, it may be that the prayers we offer to Yarni's eye may roll upwards from his image, as do the mists at dawn, and somewhere find at last the other gods, or that god who sits behind the others, of whom our prophets know not. End of The Men of Yarnith
For the Honour of the Gods from Time and the Gods by Lord Dunsany Of the great wars of the three islands are many histories writ, and of how the heroes of the olden time one by one were slain. But naught is told of the days before the olden time, or ever the people of the isles went forth to war, when each in his own land tended cattle or sheep, and listless peace obscured those isles in the days before the olden time. For then the people of the islands played like children about the feet of chance, and had no gods, and went not forth to war. But sailors, cast by strange winds upon those shores which they named the Prosperous Isles, and finding a happy people which had no gods, told how they should be happier still, and know the gods, and fight for the honour of the gods, and leave their names writ large in histories, and at the last die proclaiming the names of the gods. And the people of the islands met and said, The beasts we know, but lo, these sailors tell of things beyond, that know us as we know the beasts, and use us for their pleasure as we use the beasts, but yet are apt to answer idle prayer flung up at evening near the hearth, when a man returneth from the ploughing of the fields. Shall we now seek these gods? And some said, we are lords of the three islands, and have none to trouble us, and while we live we find prosperity, and when we die our bones have ease in the quiet. Let us not therefore seek those who may loom greater than we do in the islands three, or haply harry our bones when we be dead. But others said, The prayers that a man mutters when the drought hath come, and all the cattle die, go up unheeded to the heedless clouds, and if somewhere there be those that garner prayer, let us send men to seek them, and to say, There be men in the isles called three, or sometimes named by sailors the prosperous isles, and they be in the central sea, who oft times pray, and it hath been told us that ye love the worship of men, and for it answer prayer, and we be travellers from the islands three. And the people of the islands were greatly allured by the thought of strange things, neither men nor beasts, who at evening answered prayer. Therefore they sent men down in ships with sails to sail across the sea, and in safety over the sea to a far shore chance brought the ships. Then over hill and valley three men set forth, seeking to find the gods, and their comrades beached the ships, and waited on the shore, and they that sought the gods followed for thirty nights the lightnings in the sky over five mountains, and as they came to the summit of the last, they saw a valley beneath them, and lo, the gods! For there the gods sat, each on a marble hill, each sitting with an elbow on his knee, and his chin upon his hand, and all the gods were smiling about their lips, and below them there were armies of little men, and about the feet of the gods they fought against each other, and slew one another for the honour of the gods, and for the glory of the name of the gods, and round them in the valley their cities, that they had builded with the toil of their hands, they burnt for the honour of the gods, where they died for the honour of the gods, and the gods looked down and smiled. And up from the valley fluttered the prayers of men, and here and there the gods did answer a prayer, but oftentimes they mocked them, 
and all the while men died. And they that had sought the gods from the islands three, having seen what they had seen, lay down on the mountain summit, lest the gods should see them. Then they crept backwards a little space, still lying down, and whispered together, and then stooped low and ran, and travelled across the mountains in twenty days, and came again to their comrades by the shore. But their comrades asked them if their quest had failed, and the three men only answered, We have seen the gods. And setting sail, the ships hove back across the central sea, and came again to the islands three, where rest the feet of chance, and said to the people, We have seen the gods. But to the rulers of the islands they told how the gods drove men in herds, and went back and tended their flocks again all in the prosperous isles, and were kinder to their cattle, after they had seen how the gods used men. But the gods, walking large about their valley, and peering over the great mountain's rim, saw one morning the tracks of the three men. Then the gods bent their faces low over the tracks, and leaning forward ran, and came before the evening of the day to the shore where the men had set sail in ships, and saw the tracks of ships upon the sand, and waded far out into the sea, and yet saw naught. Still it had been well for the islands three, had not certain men that had heard the traveller's tale, sought also to see the gods themselves. These in the night-time slipped away from the isles in ships, and ere the gods had retreated to the hills, they saw where ocean meets the sky the full white sails of those that sought the gods upon an evil day. Then for a while the people of those gods had rest, while the gods lurked behind the mountain, waiting for the travellers from the prosperous isles. But the travellers came to shore and beached their ships, and sent six of their number to the mountain whereof they had been told. But they, after many days, returned, having not seen the gods, but only the smoke that went upwards from burnt cities, and vultures that stood in the sky, instead of answered prayer. And they all ran down their ships again into the sea, and set sail again, and came to the prosperous isles. But in the distance, crouching behind the ships, the gods came wading through the sea, that they might have the worship of the isles. And to every isle of the three, the gods showed themselves in different garb and guise, and to all they said, Leave your flocks, go forth and fight for the honour of the gods. And from one of the isles all the folk came forth in ships to battle for gods that strode through the isle like kings, and from another they came to fight for gods that walked like humble men upon the earth in beggar's rags and the people of the other isle fought for the honour of gods that were clothed in hair like beasts, and had many gleaming eyes and claws upon their foreheads. But of how these people fought, till the isles grew desolate but very glorious, and all for the fame of the gods, are many histories writ. End of For the Honour of the Gods from Time and the Gods by Lord Dunsany